0: The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Weston Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandwestern.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. Even before we're born, we connect with the world around us through the vibration of sound. It shapes our experiences, triggers memories and elicits emotions. So, what better way to connect with your audience than through something as primal and powerful as sound? At SNW Sonic Branding, our team of musicians, composers, sound designers, and music strategists create vibrant Sonic palettes for brands looking to be heard. SW Sonic Branding, we hear you. I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to the Creative Relay. This episode, we pick up where we left off when Justine Armour spoke to Laura jordan Bamback from Grey London. Now Laura's back behind the mic, this time with her own guest. So Laura, welcome back to the Creative Relay. Hey. It seems like a pandemic ago that we, we last chatted. <laughs> I know.
1: I can only apologise for that. But as we all know, the world has been a bit turned upside down the last little
0: while. Oh, it's been absolute chaos. But um, just to to refresh my memory, I I had a listen to our chat the other day. And, um, you know, I really did love your energy and your optimism so much from that last talk. So I've been desperately waiting for this opportunity to have another chat, and uh, you promised—you promised on our, our our last little conversation that you were going to bring in someone very special for us. So uh, over to you. Who have you decided uh, to bring on as your guest?
1: So I have decided to bring on uh, the amazing Tara McKenty. Um, she is someone uh, actually that you know I've known for a pretty long time. Um, after kind of meeting her crazy at an awards ceremony in Thailand many, many years ago. <laughs> but look, I've decided to bring her on because not only is she, you know, an amazing creative, award-winning, uh, all of that shizzle, um, but I think uh, we've both got pretty similar ideas around the, the power of creativity, what creativity can really achieve, like, you know, in advertising but above and beyond that into other areas. I think we both share really similar passion for like action speak louder than words and actually you know creating things that create change so um, you'll hear a little bit about that I hope Um, and also because we're both geeks and there aren't many of us kind of geek (laughs) girls out there.
0: (laughs) Well she sounds like a perfect choice for you and uh, without further ado let's get her in. Fab. Hey Tara. Hello. Tara welcome to the Creative Relay. Thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure you are. Laura's guest, and you two know each other. You go back a long way, then. We do. We... Yeah, we do. Yeah,
2: get you go for it.
0: <laughs> go on, tell us the story about Thailand, then.
2: It's a long story, but basically, um, Laura wouldn't give me a ride on a tuk-tuk, so I've never <laughs> forgiven her since. <laughs> yeah. But no, I first. You're not going to fit on the tuk-tuk. I actually yeah. saw Laura speak when she was the president of DNA D at AdFest in Pattaya. I believe it was my first year at Google and I'm nine years in, so I think it's probably eight years ago now. And she was speaking about the white pencil, I think, which had just been introduced. Yeah. yeah. And it blew me away. Just the way she described the work that would qualify was the type of work at the time that I was pursuing and chasing. Um, So I was desperate. So you felt you
0: had a connection.
2: I did. I did. And I was desperate to to get to know the person that was kind of shopping and, and promoting this type of work. And so you said, hey, no, let ne- me on the tuk-tuk. Never, never got the opportunity, that festival. Um, but I think a few years later, we reconnected um, through another friend. Uh, I'd call Nadia Power a bit of a girl geek as well. So, yeah, I think our friendship's probably five years old and
1: could have been eight. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh, the years that you've missed out on.
1: You know, and since then we've done, we've done a bunch of stuff together. Um, uh, Tara you know, founded Rare by Google, which is a, you know, fantastic global program to to get Rare talent and to sort of upskill Rare talent into leadership positions. I think, you know, it's been super inspiring. I came to the first one in Oz. When was that, Tara? Five years ago at Glue Society. Goes, five years ago. And uh, yeah, we've been good mates ever since.
0: Brilliant. So tell us a little bit about Rare, actually, just for people who don't know anything about it and how you started that with your time at Google. And
1: Yeah, sure.
2: So um, Google has a program called, or an initiative called uh, 20%, which is where employees are encouraged to um, work on things that they love and are passionate about uh, 20% of their time. And some pretty interesting Google products have actually been born out of that initiative. So I believe Gmail was one. Um, so it kind of starts as something you love, and then if it's relevant to your core role or to Google, it can be adopted within. And that's um you know rares obviously not Gmail, um, but I like to think it has, you know <laughs> I'm just kidding um, in the comparison, but it um a, a similar story. So it started as an external initiative and effort to get underrepresented creatives in to the the creative industry and and keep them there. I founded Rare with Stephanie Gia another female creative from Australia, five years ago. Since Steph and I founded Rare, it now comprises of three core programs. We actually have a partnership with DNAD Shift and we've sponsored three schools this year. One, um, their existing schools in London and York, and then we've also just launched DNAD Shift in Sydney, which I'm actually going to the graduation tomorrow night, uh, where we're, we've Essentially, trained or shifters trained 20 underrepresented creatives that will be available to the Australian New Zealand market to hire. So, um, please look out for that press release and the names of those amazing creatives. Then we have another program, which is a Creative Fellowship, within five different global creative teams within Google to help get diverse creativity within Google itself. We now call Creative Teams, and then. Uh, We have the Leadership Academy, which is uh, what Laura's been involved in previously, which is designed to retain diverse creatives and get them into leadership positions faster and accelerate their growth. All for the greater good of the simple belief that I've always had um, and I guess have in common with Laura, who I believe also believes this, that when you have diversity of perspective, you simply get to better and more creative ideas. And unfortunately, our industry historically has been quite homogenous and Our stories and our campaigns and our innovations have been told through a similar and at times singular lens and perspective. So yeah, Rare simply exists to just try and diversify those voices, those ideas, so we can create things that are relevant to the cross-section of society that make up our audiences. Because as we've seen in lots of studies over the years, we haven't been doing such a good job of that. And lots of consumers don't feel like brands are talking to them, like brands are, are relatable. And there's a way to solve that and that's to get audiences who feel that way and aren't represented and get people from those communities in our writing rooms and our creative departments so they have that understanding and perspective. Very long description of
1: Rare. <laughs> 100%. And we've got to big up Nadia Powell because she's a... Uh... She's really taken the mantle and is doing a, 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 like a lot of the heavy lifting on this now. She's an amazing uh, woman based here in London and s- someone else who's a really good friend of both of ours. Good shout
2: out, Laura, on Utopia. I would say if you're an agency or you're in leadership in an agency and you're looking to find ways to diversify your departments or create inclusive, maybe you're finding diverse creatives or, or diverse talent, but then you're losing them and retention and your culture potentially need some assistance, um, Utopia is definitely that business that, that has that experience to, to help all creative yeah. businesses and brands. Yeah, and
1: we actually use them at Gray. Even though I'd like to think like we're a properly progressive agency here, you can always be doing more. So they do like loads of work with us as, as a business as well.
0: And just on that, is retention a real problem?
1: Yeah, I think um, there's in the
2: Huffington Post about, say, six years ago now, They posted an article which spoke about how 75% of all creative positions were held within traditional advertising agencies, and now it's only 55%. And what's happened is it's not that we've got less people graduating from creative positions, it's because there's more options. So other types of industries are hiring creatives in-house. So you've got the startup industry, you've got the tech industry, uh, you've got in-house creative teams. So there's more options, and what that means is that We as an industry, as a creative industry, are losing talent to other industries that have more inclusive policies, more inclusive cultures and more flexible working conditions. So yeah, I would say there's a a big retention issue. I think particularly when you look at leadership across the industry, I recently took the last five years award entrant data from D&AD and cross referenced it with a global gender naming database. I think it was a million names from 180 countries. And then created an algorithm where I was able to tell the gender of every single person that had entered into a DNA award over the past five years, with the purpose to understand if gender diversity led to more awards and increasing chances of winning, which it did by twelve percent. And gender diversity, being male and female teams, outperformed female female teams and male male teams. What was also fascinating is I actually got an overview of where female talent s- sits across the industry. And currently, and Laura's included in this, 9% of, female, of CCOs in advertising are female, 12% are creative directors, 17% are associate creative directors. So, um, yeah, definitely a
1: leadership position. It's still a massive issue. Mm. I, was, I was just going to kind of add to that because there's a, a woman, I think she's from a county in Manchester, who had done her master's looking at why there's such a dropout of, specifically talking about women in the creative department in the first couple of years because I think a lot of it gets attributed to caring responsibilities, kids, that kind of stuff, and that's obviously part of it. But what she found is you know, uh, because when you're at university, it's it's over 50% women usually in those courses. Uh, and, and what she found is after being in a, an environment where there, there is equality and <clears throat> amongst, I guess, creative leadership within those courses who say, you know, you're brilliant, you can go and be whatever you like, you hit an ad agency uh, that doesn't have an inclusive culture and immediately because you've been told that, or, and, and experience the fact that there's no problem, a lot of those young women are turning in on themselves and going, well, I'm not progressing in my career, or I'm not having a great time because of me. And maybe it's me and my talent that's at fault. And so, um, you know, we're talking about people leaving to other industries, but they also leave to other, you know, parts of our industry. So they might go, well, okay, I'm not going to make it as a creative, I'm going to work as a producer or project manager and We've got, you know, amazing producers and project managers, but it's just a shame that we're losing people out of the creative department because what what they internalise is actually the culture that's around them.
2: It's interesting you say that, Laura, because um, production was actually the one stream of employment within the creative industries that had the highest a uh, number of women representation across yep. all the creative
0: yeah that, that that is that's certainly been my observation and and also um a number of them who are incredibly creative in their own right Correct. yeah so what you're saying Laura it really rings true just to even my personal kind of anecdotal yeah. experience i've never actually thought about that before but it's incredible how people may have just sort of migrated to a different path for, for some reason, yeah. that doesn't really reflect their ability.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the things that are going to change that, as Tara said, is a more diverse leadership. Um, absolutely. Because, you know, you, you can't be what you can't see. Um, and that goes for, you know, all aspects of diverse talent um, and, and then creating a really, really inclusive culture within agencies, which is, you know, what Utopia does and what, what Tara and I are hugely passionate about and have, you know, worked towards for a really long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's very, very interesting, I've got to say. The other thing that um, I, I was reading recently about, one of the problems with diversity in workplaces is when you really drill down into it, it's that for, for women, that first point of promotion, which, and I think it's kind of like to what you were talking to just then, Laura, is that they have to wait longer for that point of promotion. So they never... Uh, they never get that trajectory that takes them uh, as far as uh, other men just because they've had to wait longer for that first step up. Is that something that that you've been aware of, either of you, in your careers?
2: Oh, I've definitely seen it in peers. Uh I have experienced it once myself. I don't think I'd go into my personal story because it's a bit
1: close to the bone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had similar experiences, but I would say it's like, that that first point of promotion, it's also um, I would say there there are a couple of other issues. I would say pay. So if you get paid less right at the beginning of your career, you kind of never catch up. Hmm. Um, so you you just fall further and further behind, and you move to the next job, and the new agency says how much were you on at your last job, and well, you lie, Laura, you lie. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then uh, well, um, I have got in enormous amounts of trouble for for not saying what my previous uh previous salary was when i when i moved jobs businesses find out they they can see what you earned at your last role well certainly in the uk anyway so i think there's there's that thing and then there's also something that affected me um really personally which is just make sure that your name is on the work because i think when you're young you don't think it matters so much if your name's on the work and you think like you know can is for the important people, d for the important people, whatever, and it doesn't really matter. And then you get to a point where people look at that on your CV in order to hire you or um, in order to judge, you have to have won an award. And if your name's on not on the work that you've made, you're never going to get a place on the jury. And I think that that's a really big learning as well, like to, to be assertive in terms of making sure that your name is on the stuff that you make. When it comes to equity between female creatives and male
2: creatives, I've been discovering recently... And I think this is true in a lot of scenarios that I'm finding these amazing young female creatives, and their thinking is fantastic. When I speak to them, it's, ama- it's amazing. But when I look at their book, the work is standard. And what I've realised is it's the the opportunity to briefs and the opportunity to get the yeah, yeah. Oppo- to to work on briefs that become your career finding pieces and so forth. And I would say, I've worked with probably one of the most finest young creatives I've seen who should have been heavily awarded if she was given the right opportunity in the right place. Um, and so a massive part of this research that I was trying to do is, you know, the one thing I want any creative leader to think about is, you know, if I can prove to you that you're going to win more d d Pencils and Cannes Lyons, if at briefing stage you have gender diversity, which I've essentially done with the findings... By 12%. Um, and then 17% actually for a higher level of award. You'd do it. You'd be like, okay, I'm not going to put two males on a beer brief. What happens when I put a male and a female? So, yeah, I think that's another place of inequity that, that needs to be considered is, you know, when you do have female creatives in your department, are you giving them typecast briefs, like are you putting them on female consumer products and brands, or are you giving them the opportunity on the biggest briefs in the agencies? And that's something I experienced as well, is just the hustle and the fight you had to do to get to those briefs. And like Laura said, like I've had a similar experience where I haven't been recognised for concept of, of a piece of work by a senior creator in my career, or you get the brief and you crack it and you don't get recognised for it. So I think those are the two things that outside of
1: pay... Um, yeah, are really and, important and, 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 to change. Tara, I know just just because I know we're talking in binaries here as well, and it's another thing I know you and I are really passionate about. So I just wanted to big up our non-binary siblings who are also um, wonderful and have a place in the industry. Because I know you know a, a lot of what we're talking about is is men and women here, but it's uh, it, you know the the issue is a lot bigger than that.
2: I, yeah, I think beyond too. So I'm speaking in gender from my own experience, but then also the study that I pursued was the database I used was. For gender, because with the hope that we can include other groups in the future, but unfortunately, to get that level of data, it just doesn't exist. So it's a starting point for everyone. Mm. But the intent, Laura said, is to
0: mm.
2: you know this is, just isn't a female problem. Yeah, um, you, you were is, just
0: you were just demonstrating uh, the the power of exactly. diverse yeah. thinking.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know, I've also often been the only gay in the village in most creative departments. So it's um, you know there's there's lots of different people who come into creative departments and and face and experience this inequity. Um, So we're talking to all of you, not just our female friends out there.
1: Well, look, um, I want to hear about growing up in New Zealand in the middle of nowhere and kind of how you got to where you are, but we were talking about how important it was in those early years to get credited for the work. And actually, you know, I know that um, you had an incredible experience, actually, right, in your kind of first industry job and and what you said like your rock and roll years at tbwa in auckland so um do you want to talk about that because i think it's a, a brilliant kind of starting point for someone in the industry
2: yeah it's funny because laura and i connected a little while ago and we kind of discussed let's just stay away from dei and talk about frosting young creative talent because we'll use up half of the podcast which we've done and promised we wouldn't um so this is <laughs> this is a recount of when I was in my first year of advertising, uh, a gesture that my creative leader at the time did for me, um, and something I wanted to share because just to remind anyone that's listening, you know you can do one small thing for one creative and at the beginning of their career, and it can impact and knock on the entirety of their career. And, and this and this happened to me. So uh, my first executive creative director, of all time, at TBWA, uh, was Andy Blood. So he went he went on, moved on from advertising and was at Facebook, I think, for the last five years as a creative strategist. He's now doing crazy things with NFTs. Um, but he said to me as a fresh-faced young creative, I want you to go to Cannes this year. I don't care how you get there. It will change your career and your perspective of the industry you've got to the end of the week to work out how you're gonna do it and I'll support you. So my creative partner and I at the time, Mr. Ian Neely, banged our heads together. We'd actually self-branded it ourselves at the time as uh, Creative Plankton because we were the bottom of the, the food chain, so to speak, <laughs> and willing to do everything. So we kind of, it was just an internal agency um, nickname. So we decided to, to float shares in our creative future and we launched an IPO. Uh, in, in Plankton, and we, this is going back, you know, 16, 17 years. Um, don't let, let this terrific skin yeah. fool you. Yeah, what a visage. Um, <laughs> and we raised $10,000 in two weeks, and we did that by launching a IPO uh, through a microsite with e-commerce, which was pretty you know, progressive at the time mm-hmm. back then to have e-commerce integrated into
0: online. This is before GoFundMe.
2: Yes, correct, yeah. correct. Uh, so we had amazing agency people from around the world, uh, investor. So Nick Worthington, uh, people like John Hunt from Hunt Lascaris, uh, Scott Wibins, Um How did you promote this little initiative? Series of very embarrassing uh, videos that I hope are still not present <laughs> on them. Um,
1: Prison on... You know
0: we're going to find them.
1: Still on YouTube somewhere.
0: Yeah.
2: But it was actually, it was promoted and supported through Andy, like he promised. So uh, the agency invested in promoting it through campaign. To go to Carn Lions, it's it's an honour. And you go there often because you've done the work to get there. We clearly had not done the work to get there. And that was a little bit of a feeling of that we discovered when, you know, some people saw the the promotion and and the initiative. Um, Some people did give us that feedback. But what I will say is that every single person we met when we were there, and we were connected with lots of people through the network, they have actually hired me in my career from that one trip. So, the year I went, Damon Stapleton was winning multiple Grand Prixs for the trillion dollar campaign. He was working at TBWA and uh, Huntless Garris. He's now the CCO of Monkeys and Artidor. So he hired me and actually brought me across the ditch to Saatchi and Sachi, my creative partner. The second person I met. Uh, who was part of the TBWA network as well, was John Merrifield. I actually just had lunch at his house in Hawaii. Um, and he uh, hired me at Google. So even though I was there, I wasn't there for the work or for any kind of accolades and probably didn't deserve it uh, and was a bit of an annoying upstart. It was the relationships of, that I had the opportunity to build and, and create that I was able to maintain and then lead. Um, to opportunities in the future so yes yeah, so it was a I'd say it's rock and roll in that sense and it certainly blew my mind when I moved to Australia for one summer I always thought olives came out of a tin and had a little red capskin in the middle and then I learned that there was a plethora of of types so you know a small a girl from Noongaroo, Whangarei, New Zealand certainly um, had her mind blown when she turned up in south of France and and saw what Karen was about.
0: That is a beautiful story and it's so true how just a little moment like that can really just change someone's path. I feel like you did earn your way there because you raised the money in an imaginative, creative way, you know. So I feel that you deserved it. But I've got to say if you're... Reason to sort of say it's a great thing to do because you then met everyone who then poached you. It's not going to be really a great reason why a lot of bosses are going to encourage people to go to car. Uh,
2: poached me over time. Yeah, like right. it, wasn't it wasn't like a. Away. It wasn't a handshake and a a yeah. beer and can and then all of a sudden we're signing contracts. Yeah. It was an introduction to great, amazing senior creative minds. Yeah, that then took the time to mentor and stay in touch and over a number of years. So then when there were opportunities that arose within their own orbit, they invited us to, to participate and uh, included us. So yeah, I wouldn't say to creative bosses, you know, you'll lose your staff. Um, and you just hope that you're such a great creative leader that you can let your youngins go free and free. and they'll stay because you're giving them everything that they need where they are. So it was just one small thing that Andy did for us. and. You know, it's impacted the entirety of my career.
0: Blow your own trumpet then, because how have you played that forward? Like, how have you then sort of, what are some examples that you've done for others that you've felt?
2: Fostering young creative talent, I've always worked in fairly small creative teams. So I've never had... Uh, I've never led a team of multiple young creatives, so I'd, I've done it in a different way. I'd say I think Rare's probably one of those contributions where I am trying to support the industry a little bit from the sideline because I'm not in it. I'm I'm clearly at Google. Before that, Jonathan Nebone and I were working with DNA on Brief to Broadcast, which was another initiative we ran, ran uh, to support young creative talent. And then, you know, through the programs within Rare, I've just actually had four creative start in our rear fellowship program who I met today and yeah I, I do my best to do that in a way that I can with with the influence that I've got um so yeah and I think everyone does it slightly differently I've gone through it by designing programs to support young talent and foster young talent um as well as other diverse talent but it could be as simple as you know spending an hour a week with the youngest person in your agency and, and sharing the knowledge that you've built
1: yeah and I was going to say you know, for, if there's a like a tip for young creatives listening to this as well, that importance of building your network as early as you can. So even if you can't go to Cannes, just, you know, kind of reaching out to people, you know, brilliant creative directors who are good and passionate in this space. And, uh, you know, what you picked up in Cannes were brilliant mentors. And it's it's been the same for me in my career. Like people that have really pushed me forward in my career have mentored me and seen something in me maybe that I didn't see in myself at the time they like pushed me to be better. So, you know, I really do think the more you can get out there, the, the better. And if you've got the support of your agency, I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it comes down to to mentorship, like Laura said. And I believe, Laura, you have just launched a mentorship platform.
1: Indeed, indeed. Yes, called OKO. So have a look at weareoko.com. Won't go into it today, but it is a mentorship platform for to connect young people to people in business through psychometric profiling rather than through like inadverted commas what I want to be when I grow up because there's such an attainment gap like if you if you aren't exposed to whether it's a creative career or if you don't have anyone in your family who has gone to university it's really hard to kind of see what the options are so this is like a way to figure out what your superpowers are before you figure out what it is you want to do
0: that's a very good plug and that sounds uh- <laughs> That
1: sounds very <laughs> it worthwhile. I, I reckon we've got about three
2: more plugs in us before the end of the session. What do you think, Laura? <laughs>
1: yeah. you Off you see, go. Like, we're, quite, we're quite prolific in just going this thing is a bit broken. We're going to come up with a creative solution to fix it, and I think that's that's awesome. Actually, you know, on on that, kind of skipping ahead, because you had such huge success at Saatchi, uh, obviously, you know, they brought you to Oz and it would be great to hear a little bit about that, but do you want to talk about Project Skate first? Because um, it's It's another one of those projects where you've seen something and gone, I'm going to find a creative solution to fix this.
2: So recently uh, I've been working on a machine learning project for the last three years. Uh, we originally were working on it with STAB, a surf magazine, and for the sport of surfing to unbias create a tool that could provide real-time data analytics for surf judging within competition to unbiased the sport. Uh, which notoriously has had some pretty famous cases of inequality. Um, and then all of our surfing competitions were cancelled, Korea, Tokyo, uh, the wavefall um, in Melbourne because of due to COVID. I think the day before Melbourne went into lockdown, we actually had hired the wavefall, the wave garden it's called in Melbourne and had set up cameras and had professional surfers. and fortunately, had enough time to build a training data set to develop on models over time. So we kind of, we got to start on the project and um, it actually was recognised at Spikes recently for, for surfing. It was called Project Huey, which is named after my dog. And my dog is named after the surf god, so who you pray to to get waves, and when there's no waves in the is rubbish, who you curse. So we realised that the technology also worked for skateboarding, and the environment of skateboarding was a lot more controlled, so we were actually able to add additional features. So we could do things like um, the feature set is we can tell the exact speed of a skateboarder and a surfer, we can tell their exact ro- rotations, uh, we actually tested this in a ramp in Oceanside in California and we could tell the exact height that a skateboarder was getting out of the ramp, um, but the most exciting part of it is we could actually break down the anatomy of a skateboard trick and um, actually do trick, automated trick detection. So the ambition when we started with surfing was like how, it was a little bit like mixing my passions of equality and creativity together is how could I make sport fair? this sport seems really unfair at times. Let's make the sport particularly fair. And then ended up in this place with skateboarding where it was like actually having these analytics just shows how awesome these extreme sport athletes are. Um, so we ended up partnering with Sky Brown, who's a bronze medalist. She's actually a dual athlete. She's probably going to be competing in uh, the next Olympics in Paris in surfing and skateboarding. Um, she's incre- incredibly good at both. But she helped us test the tool and tweak the tool. Um, So we launched it at IO, our developers conference, about six or seven weeks ago. Um, And yeah, Sky Brown tried to break the tool and kind of showed off what it could do. So like Laura said, I'm a bit of a geek. A bit.
1: (laughs) It's so interesting to think about where those biases exist, where when you see, again, in terms of gender, a male skateboarder compete, you automatically, well, you know, the, the, the judges automatically might think like faster, higher, you know, better tricks. Mm. And because Sky is, you know, young, female, um, you know, relatively, I guess, you know, sort of petite. So to have a tool there a bit like it's better than VAR, but like a bit of a, like a, a VAR for skateboarding is amazing. I'm, I met someone last night, actually, I had dinner with someone who's a sports agent who represents a female diver. Mm. And I was talking to her about the project and she was going, Oh my God, like my, my diver is constantly saying how, she's kind of underestimated because she's a she's a woman in that sport. And I was thinking that's got to be also something that this tool would be really good for.
2: We were working with, um, at one stage, a researcher from the CSRO who had worked on the diving analytics of the Olympics um, within a section of the Project Laura. So that's it's definitely the future of Project Skate would be my mission is to make it for consumers. So any, oh, really? So uh, how, would,
0: how would they utilise that? Uh,
2: through a mobile device. So you could go skateboarding, set your phone up, and then you could essentially analyse and share what you've just done. So that would be the pipe dream for it. Uh, other use cases would be obviously through Sports Broadcast. We had some pretty interesting people reach out to us from various sport leagues um, after we launched. So, yeah, there's there's different places it could go. But I think I'd love for everybody to have access to that type of technology, just not necessarily just um, professionals in the future.
1: Yeah. And you were talking about going back to professionals, though, you know, potentially integrating it at the Paris Olympics as well.
2: I'd love for it to be integrated to the Paris Olympics. So if anyone from the IOC is listening to this podcast series in Australia, please. No, um, I'd love, I think it's got use cases across multiple sports. The next uh, Olympics, the surfing event is actually held at Chopu, which is the heaviest and one of the biggest waves in the world. Um, so this type of technology wouldn't be quite relevant as they'll be going in a straight line on that wave, um, but definitely skateboarding, it would be you know an absolute dream to see technology like that integrated across um, I actually saw today a TikTok from Microsoft who are working on similar technology for surfing, and they've just released a post on on combining ML with uh, the American Surf League. So it's definitely uh, an area that mm. tech companies are starting to get more and more interested in.
0: And so, and, and Google owns that. Correct. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, you should yeah. be really proud of that. That's Thank an amazing you. thing to just uh, come it's, up it, it's, with. It's
1: pretty mind blowing. It's pretty mind blowing. I don't like it when uh, things aren't fair. <laughs> I know Tara's like, yeah, don't talk about don't talk about the really really cool stuff that I do, and don't talk about my awards of which you have like hundreds. Because, <laughs> but I did want to did want to put a put something in here because it was something that we did talk about uh, when women being on podcasts or you know whatever on stage, we always talk about the DNI stuff, but we don't talk about like excellence, um, and you know just want to shout out that. Honestly, she's one of the best creative directors out there. Oh, shit! <laughs> as, as a mate, but also like your award show. It One of the other things that we spoke a lot about is that the idea of, you know, be, being aware of the privilege that we have as a creative person. And I think, again, it's something that we really share that I wanted to share with the, the audience?
2: I think this is something I've always admired about our industry. When I was younger, I was really interested in art and used to paint. And my favourite part of the process was actually giving the painting to the person it was intended for. The actual execution of painting was, you know, was, was part of it, but it wasn't the best bit. And I think in advertising, we get that feeling tenfold. So whatever we create, thousands of people see it. Um, which is an amazing feeling to know that you can have that type of influence. And I think with that type of influence comes responsibility. And I think because we do work in the realm of creativity, which is often quite fun, exciting, fast-paced environments, I do wonder if sometimes as creatives we don't think about that responsibility as much as we should. And I think you... and I'm not meaning to be all Debbie Downer and be Serious Sam here, but I think... um, yeah you know, we have been responsible for negative stereotyping. When you look at commercial creativity, we inform culture, and at times we have contributed to sometimes not the best, you know things that have been put out in culture through mass communication. And I think we're as an industry, we're getting much better. Uh, I think when you bring in diverse talent who come from those communities, you start to eliminate things like negative stereotyping, et cetera. But yeah, I think it's it's one thing, I think, creatives as you enter the industry and you remain in the industry it's like every single thing we create and make just being really considered with what the message is Um, and I find when I speak to creatives it's often not until they have daughters or they have you know people close to them later in life that um, might not feel nice about the things that they see and I'm like a lot of this has progressed so I feel like I'm talking a little bit historically here but yeah, I think it's definitely the most exciting part of the role that we can influence and give, and so many people can see what we create. But at the same time, it's almost our biggest responsibility as as commercial creatives as
1: well. You're absolutely right, and you know it's contributed, like all the all the lack of thought. I think that the industry's had over time has contributed to kind of where a lot of people place advertising in their heads if they're if they're not work if they're not working commercial creativity. Let's, let's call it that because it's it's beyond advertising, you know, a lot of people have a really negative perception of it. And, you know, that then impacts on, to your point earlier, whether young talent want to come and work in this industry or not. Because, you know, you, you jump onto YouTube and search out advertising, for example, and there are like hundreds of thousands of school projects about how bad advertising is, because it misrepresents people, basically. Uh, and we've got a lot of work to do, I think, as an industry to change that. And it has kind of changed, but it is it's the most important thing that we can do is just be aware of our privilege
2: and i think too when things do feel like they're progressing they're not as top of mind cuz you're like oh great we've fixed that problem we we now you know we cast better we've got better representation we've got more representation with our creative departments, but it's still there lingering, and always, it's uh, it's never finished, and it still could be better. Um, so it's it's something I believe we should still continue to talk about, um, and obviously it will never be perfect, every country, every market, every agency is in different places, but it's still something that, that can be top of mind, and I think one thing to recognise too is like when you get it right, and you do relate to people. Like I remember when I was five or six, uh, my, I, my parents were going through a custody battle at the time. Milk in New Zealand, the, the big Milk brand was Anchor, and they created a multi-episodic TV ad, which was about a family going through a divorce, and Milk just happened to be at the table and with them on the journey. And it was obviously very relevant in my household, and it was a time where, not, where divorces were not as common. And I just felt like I wasn't the only family. And like I remember that now, years later, and you can impact not just, you know, consumers, but the children around the consumers in the living room. Like you you impact how people feel and see themselves. And yeah, so it's a beautiful thing when you get it right too.
1: One of the things that really impacted me again when, when I was young was also the, the power of what we do to get a really important message across was, you know, just when Slip Slops, that was invented. Yeah. And then suddenly there was a song, like there was a three-step process and there was a song and suddenly like everyone knew it and everyone did it. Like every, everyone in Australia, suddenly yeah. like slip, Slop Slap became a thing. Like that, That's the power that we kind of have. Stop, drop yeah. and roll if you catch on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, yeah. We, I didn't, we didn't have that one, did we? Yeah. If you catch on fire, was that a big problem in New Zealand? Yeah, stop, drop and roll. <laughs> 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 ah, that's so funny.
2: And then what was terrific about slip, Slop Slap is then you have, you know, a creative businesses and it was the three drunk monkeys back then um, who then did The Sound of Summer, which, you know, kind of built on um, yeah.
1: So, yeah. I mean, I can still sing the entire Slip Zap
0: song. <laughs> Off you go. No. <laughs> Before we go, I'm just curious, like, with your background and, you know, with the agencies and the success you had at the agency and now at Google, what sort of advice, when you think about the the scope of commercial creativity and where you could go, if you were to give advice to young people about, where they should perhaps start thinking about starting their careers, where would you go? Would you go agencies now if you had your time again?
2: I look back on my, and I refer to TBWA as rock and roll, though I'd say the I was there for four years and it was the most exciting four years of my career. It's a terrific industry for young people um, to enter into. I wouldn't say it's as sustainable the older you get, um, But And I think we can do a better job of making it more of a sustainable career. I miss agency every day, if I'm honest. Really? 100%. I miss being surrounded by departments full of really smart, creative people. I work at an engineering company. Whereas in a creative agency, you're the heart. Uh, And I think every young person entering into commercial creativity should know what it's like to be the heartbeat of a business and to be the part of a business that provides profit. Because as soon as you... Go into different creative careers that are outside of core commercial creativity and, and advertising agencies, it's not the case. And it's a really nice feeling. And I think you will think in a different way. You'll collaborate with people uh, that are like minded. And it's just, it's exciting, it's lovely. Soak up every minute. And, um,
0: I, then get the fuck out of there. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I think I'm obviously, like Laura said, I'm a geek. I <laughs> so I pursued a path which led me closer to technology and you know different types of tools to tell stories and, and create experiences and to reach people. So I think there's so many different mediums and places that agencies are... Like I look at the recent Leo Burnett's piece, the house that... Is it called One House? I think it was. I've judged it recently in award awards. I believe Glue Society worked on it. I think it picked up at Cannes recently. And they've essentially been working with CSIRO to build a house that withstands, you know, future global warming impacts and crises. And like that came from an agency. Like it's amazing. Like that will impact how people build houses and, you know, save lives. Mm. Being a creative in advertising is not writing. TV scripts and print ads and in fact if, and radio ads. And in fact, if you're just doing those things, you shouldn't be, um, and you need to diversify into other things. But yeah, I I miss it every day.
0: So, did you have any other questions or any uh, curly ones you wanted to to throw at Tara before we left? No,
1: I mean I think we've pretty much covered it. What well, we didn't we didn't come back to like talking about Saatchi and what that was like. That was something we ended up skipping over. I don't know whether you want to talk about that or not. Yeah, I can talk to that briefly. I think
2: my experience at Saatchi came down to. You know, two amazing years where Damon Stapleton was the ECD at the time, and he curated a creative department. So Stu Turner, Tim and Jean, myself and Ian, Lizzie Hamer, there's a lot more. But he had the opportunity to kind of curate different creative teams from different levels and actually brought us in from different places in the world. So we flew across from New Zealand. He had teams from South Africa come in and a team from Perth. And, yeah, it just felt at the time a very special creative department with a lot of talented Im- individuals um, and then a really great creative leader at the helm. Um, so I probably did some of the most prolific work of my career there and I'm really thankful for it.
0: You are only there two years? Two years. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't and muck it, around, do
2: you? No, I think it goes to show when you curate a team with that consideration and I think that's one of Damon's superpowers mm. is actually... Desire for talent and, yeah. and how to combine that talent. Um, and then you give opportunity and, and equity to those creatives. You know, pretty terrific things can happen for the for everyone involved, the agency, the the leadership team, and, and also the people. So, yeah, it's it was just, yeah, two years of power. No. Okay. <laughs> and I also forgot some of my closest friends' last names who also never forgive me <laughs> and left off a whole bunch of other great creatives that were there at the time.
0: And that was, of course, that was the... Penny the Pirate. I- yes, era. that's right. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. yeah. Yep. And that again, what, what year was that? Was that twenty fourteen? Nine years ago. Yep. Such a brilliant piece of work. Really avant-garde for that era. Just that sort of collaboration. Yeah. You know, with yep. a client, um, with a university, yep. um, with authors. You know, it was just it was just a really great way of bringing a great example of lots of different disciplines coming together.
2: Yeah, and I think one lesson from Penny was. Um, yeah, we ended up creating a an app and a version to make it more accessible. The one thing I loved about that and coming from a, a solo mum as well was the brand actually stepped up as well. So they, if you gave the book to someone else and passed it on, they then gave you $150 mm. um, to go towards glasses for your child. Mm. So I really loved, like at every touch point, it's a little bit like uh, gay TM's which was done a few years ago by ANZ and TBWA, that the ATM fees went to 2010. Um, so I think it's the details that make campaigns like that really beautiful. But one lesson that I'd say I learned is, you know, when we talk about mentorships, like, I think I probably stalked Colleen DeCoursey for, like, two years until she agreed to give me free career advice um, 15 years ago. But she answered my correspondence. And with Penny the Pirate, when we were looking for a kids' book author, I went to... Um, Oliver Jeffers, so any parent out there will know exactly who he is, who is the best. He's an Irish um, author-illustrator who lives in Brooklyn. Yeah, I had a conversation with him. I was like, so you're the best person at writing books. I was like, I want to do this in a book. And he was like, Tarim, Oliver Jeffers, I'm booked up for the next five years. But he said, here's my protege, Kevin Waldron, who's terrific and up and coming. And he had one book on the Amazon top 10 books, whereas Oliver, I think, at the time had three. So... I would just say like, and that's probably been, Laura talks a lot about superpowers. It's probably my superpowers. I'm not afraid to ask and just be really annoying. So if you're a young creative and you're, you know, don't go out and ping 100 creative leaders on LinkedIn. Um, But if you ever are, you know, you have the opportunity. um, Pick one. (laughs) I'd met Colleen and we had mutual friends who was in my network. So, you know, it wasn't just a, a blanket a blank, yeah, you know, it was a um It
0: wasn't a cold call.
2: It wasn't a cold stalk. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. It was a a semi familiar stalk, but I'd say, like, just go for it. Don't be afraid if you're at an event and you see Tara Ford, or don't be afraid if you see these amazing industry leaders. Like, go and have a chat. They'll speak to you. They'll be stoked that you've approached them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the the good, like, I I think that is the, I guess, any good creative leader will respond, right? I mean, they might not be busy and they might not even respond the first time, but a good leader and the kind of person you want to work for, they, they will get
0: back to you. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's the kind of person you want to work for. Um, so it is actually quite telling. And maybe if they're not getting back to you, maybe you should re- reassess who you're stalking.
2: Exactly. Stalk yeah. better, Stalk people. better. Yeah. And I think outside of mentorship, you know, the lesson from Penny was when it comes to your work, reach out to Taika T D for your next T V C Sorry, Taika. Um, but, you know, it's just like aim. Aim as big as you can because the only thing that will happen is a no or, or nothing. Be ambitious. Yeah, that's a good one. And annoying. Ambitiously annoying.
0: Yeah, there you go. Ambitiously annoying. TM. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you, Um, Laura. Any more to add?
1: No, I think that I think that's all good.
0: Oh, you better get yourself back to work then. I think.
1: Indeed, it is the start of my working day.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, well, listen, Laura. I I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for your involvement. And uh, you've been brilliant to chat to both times. And it's been a real privilege to meet you. I've enjoyed it so much. And uh, you've really made it worth the wait. (laughs)
1: Thank God for that. Thank God for that.
0: So thank you very much, Laura. And Tara, the the burden is now yours. You don't have to tell us who you're going to talk to, but could you give us a hint?
2: It is a country person of mine. So you'll be... Privilege to have a double Kiwi accent. Mm-hmm. That's the only hint I'm
0: going to give you. Excellent. Fair enough. Yep,
2: that's it. That's... So another Kiwi to grace the listeners
0: of this podcast. <laughs> very much look forward to it. And and again, look, thank you so much to both of you for your time and uh, happy days.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Laura, for the invite. And if you know any Kiwi creatives, I've got a podcast I need to... <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, good night. Thanks, Laura. See ya. Bye. Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests.